Uh, we're in a series called It's Complicated, where we're uh, basically uncomplicating the complicated realm of relationships. So we're talking about love, dating, uh, sex we talked about a couple weeks ago. We talked about our past and our baggage relationally. Um, we're going to talk about singleness and dating, even parenting next week. So all sorts of different complicated things. Any parents of the room think that they've cornered parenting? If you have, please, let's talk next week uh, because uh, I need some help on that front. All right, anyway, uh, we're going to talk about marriage. Uh, but really the big question before we get into it and before I invite my wife up is why? Like, why are we talking about this? Well, as I did some study into the state of, of marriage here in America, uh, I, I found out, man, it could be argued that Marriage hasn't fallen on harder times in the U.S. Uh, I mean, here are just some of the statistics. 45% of marriages end in divorce, which is roughly 25% of all adults that they'll experience divorce. Uh, and so, I mean, a lot of us in this room come from divorced families. Uh, and, and some of us in this room have also experienced divorce ourselves. Uh, only 20, but here, here's what's fascinating to me. The divorce rates have actually been pretty stable for a while. It's been this way for a while. What has changed is the people that are willing to actually embrace marriage itself, right? I mean, fewer people are, are, are willing to get into it, and even if they're willing to get into it, they're getting into it much, much older. Uh, so only 25% of those in their 20s are getting married now, which is down from 68% in their 20s in 1960. Pretty, pretty dramatic shift over the past uh, I can't do math. So 60 years, something like that. Anyway, uh, in 1960, 72% of all adults were married. 72. 72%, but only 50 now. Uh, and this was back actually in 2008, and, and stats have even shifted since then. Uh, the percentage of those who are single in their 20s and 30s has risen in both categories by at least 10% over the past 16 years. And the average age of people getting married is getting older and older. In other words, they're waiting they're pushing it off, and they're not sure that this is even worth getting into. Why? Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard, and the landscape is not looking great in the success stories, okay? The Apostle Paul in the Bible even said it this way. Those who marry will face many troubles in life. Can I get an amen? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about what does it look like for us to look at marriage through a biblical lens? What is God's view of marriage? And how do we help it thrive? What is it going to look like from a male perspective, from a female perspective, to get into marriage in a way that's going to help it grow and help it nurture what God wants it to nurture and really thrive? So that's what we're getting into. Um, why, why, why today? Why talk about this? There's some marriages in the room I know that are hanging by a thread. This is going to be incredibly important to get back to the foundation of why we're married in the first place. There's some that, that come from, again, broken homes. You've experienced the wreckage of marriages that haven't gone well. For some of us, I mean, maybe we're, we're thinking about getting married and, you know, you're so intoxicated with this love that if you're not careful, you're not going to be able to embrace a good foundation because the emotions are just taking you. And so we want to get a sober look at this today. We're going to have some fun. I'm going to invite Charity to come up now, and uh, uh, we're just going to have some fun with this today. Um, we're going to show you just a little bit of a raw, honest look at our marriage um, through the biblical lens of Ephesians chapter 5. So, I mean, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up there. Uh, we'll also have it up on the screen. Um, but this is my, <laughs> it's really low, I know. I feel like we're like little kids here. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is, for, for those of you who've maybe been new for a little while, this is my gorgeous wife, Charity. 
Hi, Charity. <laughs> so, uh, Charity, could you just kind of take people a little bit through our journey? Uh, we're going to do a little marriage recap here, and we're going to get super corny on you and throw some pictures up on the screen. So. <laughs> yeah, where's our, yeah. So we've been married um, almost 11 years. We were just babies. I was 22. I had hair. And he had hair. You can tell how much stress we've been through. <laughs> the hair just jumped ship. Um, anyway. So yeah, we've been married uh, almost 11 years. We met at school at Gordon College, and uh, really we could not have been more opposite. He was this cocky jock, and I was a country girl who wore overalls and carried around my guitar and just don't mess. You know, it was just one of those situations. I came from a very broken family. He had this awesome intact family. Um, so really we didn't even connect uh, at a romantic or even friend level until uh, senior year. So... What, what happened? You can show yeah, happened. I mean, I, I just, I called her an awkward nickname that I heard someone call her, and it really wasn't a nickname for her at all, and she didn't talk to me again for the next three years. So uh, if you're pursuing a romantic interest, just stay away from the nicknames, okay? <laughs> Not going to work out well. But anyway, it was my best friend's wedding. Um, I was one of the bridesmaids, and uh, something crazy happened where I knew this kid. I was pretty confident. I hadn't dated anyone, um, had plenty of guy friends, and I just could not look him in the eye. It was just like... I don't know. He could see in my soul. It was really weird and very sudden, and apparently you felt the same way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had known of her, but that day when she was wearing that red dress that she thinks now oh. is the most hideous thing ever, I awful. couldn't take my eyes off of her. Yeah. Uh, there was just, like, just the sparks that happened in that moment. So uh, yeah. that was kind of the beginning, and, and we, we went off to uh, – we got married. We went off to Denver for a couple of years where we had our blissful three years of honeymoon before the chaos erupted with kids. Uh, we moved six times, Right. Yeah, we moved six times, lots of different jobs, um, four kids, and then we've been on the church planning journey for five years, which has probably aged just the most. Um, so yeah, lots of highs, lots of lows, but that's kind of where we're coming from. That's our story. Uh, and so here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through Ephesians 5, and we're going to kind of take you through our journey in, uh, and hopefully give you some things that we can take away today that will be helpful for you in your journey. So uh, Ephesians 5, here we go. This is Paul's kind of manifesto on marriage written to the Ephesians church back in the first century. And uh, there might be some startling language in here. We're going to get to that. So hang, hang in with us. Uh, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loved his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, we are, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Anybody else? Marriage is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. 
Look, there's, there's no getting around this in the 21st century. There's some language here that's a bit startling. You know, we hear the words submit in everything, respect, all this kind of stuff. I mean, I wanted to bring you up here. It's one thing for me to preach this as a man. It's another thing for people to hear it from a, a woman. How do you read through that in light of your faith? Yeah, I mean, submit is a hard word. I think if I posted that, um, sub, wives, submit to, your, submit to your husbands as you do the Lord on Facebook, I'd probably get eaten alive. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to submit to nobody and all that stuff. It's just, that's intense. That goes against um, feminist culture, and it sounds oppressive. It sounds squashing. It sounds like I'm not going to be heard. It sounds like I don't matter. It sounds like you're better than me. It sounds like all of those things. And I'm sure some of you can relate to that because you've seen the abuse of that, um, of maybe a man in your life using that kind of power against you and selfishly. I, I have. So I've, I've lived that. Um, my, my stepdad, honestly, he used this very scripture from, he came into my life when I was 10 up, up through uh, age 17. And um, it was all about that. It was all about using that leverage um, to get his way down to choosing our clothing, to um, punishing us severely if I held my fork and knife the wrong way at the table. I mean, everything was very much submit be, just because, you know, I'm, I'm the man. Um, but you know what? For every, every way we can sniff out the counterfeit, there's got to be the real thing, right? There's got to be the real thing. And the real thing can only make sense and can only be found in Jesus. So, so Scott, like, lay, lay that framework for us. Um, if true unconditional love and respect can only be found in Christ, like, how? How does that even work? Yeah, really, here, here's what we wanted you guys to write down first in your notes there. Uh, the first thing really is this. Only Jesus, only Jesus can inspire unconditional love and respect. Only Jesus can inspire unconditional love and unconditional respect. It doesn't make sense outside of him. We read this language, and initially, fears just pop up in our mind. You know, what if, what if, if she does, if, like, I can't know. Like, we, we get afraid of it until we start looking at what Jesus has done for us. When you look at Ephesians 5, like, Paul doesn't ground this in just do this because. He grounds it in the relationship with Christ and his church so what did Jesus do for us? Well, in Ephesians 5, it hints at this, that, that Christ actually married the people of God when he came into this world, the Son of God coming into the world and dying on our behalf, completely submitting himself underneath human beings so that he could raise us up into a beautiful, united marriage. And we get this image even in Revelation 21 where heaven and earth are going to be reunited in this beautiful marriage between God and his people and every tear is going to be wiped away and, you know, no more pain, no more mourning, no more suffering. It's just going to be this beautiful thing and it did not happen because we were lovable, right? When Jesus hung on the cross, it wasn't because we brought a lot to the table, he did it unconditionally, sacrificing himself to the uttermost, dying in our place just because he loved us and he wanted to have a marriage with us. And so when we were looking, I get to say the Greek word for something that's really cool. Well, I actually don't know the Greek word, but the, the, the Greek word for submit um, was usually used in the military, just in talking about rank and order and... Um, just abiding by that structure. And that was so striking to me, not because that means I submit to my husband because he's better than me or somehow more important, but it's because we're on a mission for something. Like military is about getting something done. We are defending something. We are moving in a certain direction. If marriage was just all about let's look at each other, be happy, make babies, and retire somewhere, 
there'd be no reason for order. There'd be no reason to have a structure. Um, so when we talk about this word submit, so much of it is about doing things as if he is better, as if he's more important, sacrificing myself um, for him. But the coolest part is that what does it say? It doesn't say in the passage, wives, submit to your husbands because he's better than you or because he is really easy to respect all the time. It says, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to who? The Lord, right? So if my heart is already in a posture that's submitting to Jesus um, out of gratitude for what he's done, it's going to be infinitely easier to submit to you. That's the biggest thing. When we think about approaching our spouse, and believe me, it's not always easy, right? You look at your spouse, they're a very flawed human being. They wake up with that morning dragon breath and their hair's all over the place, you know? And like, you know, they, they jump out of the shower, like the whole downstairs is a complete bomb. Like you look at them and you're like, how can you respect yourself? You know, like you, you think about that, like you have to be captured by the reverence of Christ. When you're captured by Jesus, that's what fuels how we love and respect each other. That's really the foundation of all of this. And, and so we had to ask the question, though, like what happens, though, like when it is hard to respect each other, when it is hard to submit to one another and love each other, like what happens at that point? How do we, what, what kind of framework do we think about when it comes to loving and respecting each other when it's hard? I mean, again, we have to take Christ's example. When he was hanging on the cross for me and for you, I don't think he had all the feels at the moment. There was not, I just, love you. I'm so happy to be in excruciating pain on your behalf. I don't think that's how it felt. And so obedience precedes feelings every time. Every time. And you want this for your kids, right? They might not feel like getting dressed to get ready for school, but they need to obey. And hopefully, eventually, those feelings that are just joyfully wanting to obey because they love you and they trust your love for them, that will follow. So man, in those moments where I just could grit my teeth because I don't want to say the respectful thing, um, that's where the obedience needs to come first. And I'm going to trust that I continually respect Scott, as I continually choose those moments of being respectful instead of spiteful or mean. Those feelings are going to follow. Maybe not right away, but they will. Yeah, I mean, let's get honest, right? There's some patterns in our lives and even in our spouses' lives that are a little less than awesome, right? Sometimes... That guy can just come home late consistently every day. And like, even though we've talked about it, he just continues to be late every day. You know, man, she spends too much shopping. And no matter how many times I talk to her, like, she spends too much shopping. Well, you know, let's get honest. What do I do that drives you nuts? Just <laughs> all right, <spill> so, <laughs> you ready? Uh, we, we're like, she, Charity's a water Nazi. Like, any other husbands in the room, like, you're, you're like, yeah, you're, your wife just, like, loves to feed you ridiculous amounts of water. Um, that's her, but the problem is, she fills up the water bottle and doesn't screw the cap on tight. You know what happens next, right? So I'm like, I'm off to work, and I'm like, thanks, honey. <sighs> like, water all over me, and I get all soaked. I'm like, oh, man. So anyway, uh, there's that, and then there's the keys, right? The like, keys, yeah, yeah, I never know where the stupid keys are. But, yeah. um, it's because I'm holding eight children and four bags of groceries, and they just go in a pocket, you know? Right, there's there's a reason. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we got to get honest about that, right? But, but. Like, we, we can do something with that. Every time you encounter something like that in your spouse, you have a choice, right? You have a choice. Like, I'm going to let this kind of seethe on the inside of me as I see no change, no change, no change, no change. Or I can approach them the way that Christ approached me. Man, he initiated 
his love. He initiated his sacrifice. He initiated when I brought nothing to the table, when I brought nothing to the table. And so you can choose a win-win. Really, the win-win is this. Like, when you choose to love, sacrifice, and serve your spouse, like, you could, scenario one, win them over and say, man, like, look at what my spouse has done when they've initiated over and over and over and over. Like, there's a power there that you can, you can win your spouse over and you can initiate change in their life when they say, man, look at how they're living. That's scenario one, and that's obviously a great scenario. But even in scenario two, when they still choose, I'm not going to change no matter what, you can change. You can beat bitterness. You can beat anger. You can beat resentment by still choosing to love, to sacrifice, to submit, to push all of that across the table and say, out of reverence for Christ, I'm going to choose to be transformed by him, regardless of whether you do or not. And I'm telling you, that will change things. That's so good. So when we think about this, we have to ask, okay, well, what does it look like, men and women, to actually do this practically, right? <coughs> right. How do we get into this? Like, what, what does it look like for us to actually practically love and respect each other? Because when you notice this in, in the passage itself, uh, Paul says very different things when he looks at the wife and when he looks at the husband. There's different commands. They look differently. Same value, same equality before the eyes of God, and yet different in how they are to engage each other here. So just in case, you know, I feel like our culture right now pitches this idea that men and women are really no different at all, which if you've ever been in a marriage before, you understand, yes, they are. But um, there is a very famous TED Talk by Paula Johnson who says down at a molecular level, men and women are different. Like down at the, the scientific ba- like foundation, men and women are incredibly different and require different things if we're going to build each other up. But beyond that, there, there's a book, and, and we highly recommend this. Um, this is kind of a follow-up of a book that Dr. Eggers and his wife wrote called Love and Respect. Huge book, great book. Um, this is all about communicating. Um, but in this, they did a study of 7,000 people And in the study itself, they asked a question about how people respond to conflict. They asked, when you're in conflict with your spouse or significant other, do you feel primarily unloved or primarily disrespected? And the answers are telling. 83% of the men said they felt disrespected in conflict. 72% of of the women said they felt unloved. And so when you think about that and breaking that down, like... Yeah, and again... Books have been written on this, guys, so in the short amount of time that we have, we're going to do our very best to just give a quick overview of this and and go into it much deeper and make this a conversation starter. We're not saying that all women are exactly the same and all men are exactly the same. That's not at all the point. Um, But this this is how this is helpful. If we can throw the slide up about the crazy cycle versus the energizing cycle. This is directly from these guys, so this is not something we geniusly came up with. But the idea is, without Scott showing love to me, I'm going to react without respect. And without respect, he's going to react without love. And then without love, I'm going to react without respect. And it's just going to get crazy and harder and crazy and harder and harder and harder. Um, So that's where this is. However, there is another way, and it's the energizing cycle. And it's when his love will motivate my respect. And my respect will motivate his love. And it will go around and around and around that way. That's kind of the idea. Um, so respect is the primary language for men. That's the, what they speak, respect language. Man, I mean, it starts small too, doesn't it? You know, you get home at the end of the day, and 
you know, you're, you're just ready to crash as a guy. And in that moment, she hands you a kid and says, I need help. You know, and like all you wanted to do in that moment was just relax and, you know, and just kind of kick back. And it's like, whoa, you know. And, you know, in that one moment, it's so easy to just choose, I'm going to respond without love, right? Because if I feel disrespect in the least, like, I'm going to respond without love. And before she knows it, she's like, well, what's wrong with you? Like, did you wake up on the wrong, like, did something go bad, like, at work? Like, what happened? And before you know it, you got into this spiral, and, like, you're sitting on opposite sides of the couch later on in that night, right? Right. That crazy cycle really can work on itself. So let's get practical. We want to start with um, women, so hopefully husbands in the room or guys who would like to be married someday, these are the notes you should take um, because love is what fuels your wife. So we need to say that. And let's just break that down a little bit. We came up with this acronym, may or may not be helpful to to you, but it's loved. Women want to feel loved. So let's talk about what that is. The first three letters honestly are fairly similar. L is for linked. We want to be linked. We want to feel close and connected with our husbands at an emotional level. Um, So Scott could like take me out to dinner, buy me some stuff, some jewelry, whatever it is. But if I don't feel like there's a a connection, all that other stuff really doesn't matter. Um, I'm not willing to really do a whole lot or go anywhere or have you buy me things if there's not an emotional connection. So being linked is so important. Um, And O is open. I want you guys to be open, not distant or irritated or shut down, but but open. Um, I know at least for me, I want to know Scott's heart. So when I ask him about his day, I don't want a detailed description of all the things you, you did on your computer or the conversations you had, but what I'm asking is, how's your heart? How, is, how are you doing? How are you processing the stuff you're, you're going through? So open, open is huge. And I know that that one is not easy, especially when some guys open up and then they get slapped upside the head emotionally by their wives who will bring shame or um, yeah, something I mean, on them. It, it said that guys go to the movies to disengage from their emotions. And women go to the movies to engage their emotions, right? Like, guys, like, you're, you're inspired by honor and by warfare and that kind of stuff. Like, we go to the movies, we're like, man, I just want to get, you know, sucked up into that and kind of disengage my emotions. And women, they, they love the chick flicks because their emotions, like, they just, like, it goes crazy, right? And it's so easy at the end of the day, like, for us to approach each other and, like, I just want to shut down and kind of relax. And, man, she just wants to connect, you know? And she wants to chat. She wants to chat it up. Um, Right? Chat it up, yeah. <laughs> so, like, guys, don't. D- <laughs> <laughs> I do love Avengers. Oh, I mean, yeah, you I, do. No, I'm that's pretty sweet. No, she, she loves Avengers. It's, yeah. it's awesome. It's pretty awesome. Um, but, man, don't just sit on the couch and plop yourself in front of the TV and shut down. Like, don't just watch your phone or veg out on Facebook. Like, talk. Talk, talk to her. Got to talk. Share your emotions. Share your day. Let her, let her know how, and not just a detailed list of your day, but, like, how did you feel about it? You know, it's right. really unnatural, but. And we'll keep going. Um, v is validate. This one's a big one. This is that whole classic, just listen to me. Don't try to fix it. That whole thing. Um, just va- validate my feelings. One of the best ways Scott helps me is if I'm having a hard time, I just want him to sit in the mud puddle with me for a hot second and just like, just feel what I'm feeling, validate it, mm-hmm it without bringing out the toolbox to try to fix it. So just that one is so hard. I know because guys are really good at fixing things. I mean, I think about our neighbor across the street. This guy's hilarious, but I feel like he's watching out his window for us to have a car problem or something. Because the second we do, I kid you not, we had like oil leaking. We have beater cars. And he just, he was out. Like he was out ready to go with his toolbox. It would not have made sense 
to see our neighbor come across the street, put an arm around Scott and start crying because this is so hard, our car's broken. You know, just sitting that with you. He fixed it. He got out the tools and took care of the problem. It was not an emotional issue for him. Um, so that's just, we're just so strikingly different that way. But validating feelings is a really big deal. I mean, so uh, walk us through a little bit. Like what happens when you're, you're going through something hard and you just want me to sit in it and I instantly pull out that wrench and I'm like, hey, have you thought about this, this, and this? I don't know that I can explain what happens. It's just, you get, just get upset. I just don't feel understood. And that's really what it is. I feel like you don't really get it. You don't empathize with me quite to the extent that I need you to uh, when you run in and fix it. Um, it's like the problem's more important than me or something like that. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, the next one, since I know we gotta keep, keep rolling. This one's huge. This one's esteem. E is for esteem. Um, oh man, this is probably my favorite one because really what this is all about is appreciating verbally all the millions of little things that your wife does every single day. And um, at least for me as a, as a stay-at-home mom, I feel like I can do 10 billion little tiny things that involve diapers and laundry and all these things. And at the end of it, I feel like I have nothing to show for it. I'm unshowered. I've got cranky kids. Dinner's barely made. And the house is a mess. But I know I worked hard all day. Um, and so just having Scott look at me and say, wow, dinner's delicious. Or like, dang, you look good in those jeans. Or just something that it's just like, oh, I feel like I can breathe again. There's wind wind in my sails because you're esteeming the things that I do every single day that are really easy to overlook. So esteem is a really big one. Yeah, I think a couple things on this, guys. Um, brag about her. Like, make a list of all the things that you really appreciate about her and just brag about her. Like, do it in, in public, too, in front of other people. I'm telling you, that will fuel her engine. Even, even if she's like, stop, just stop. Don't, 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 don't say that about me. Like, on the inside, she's like, yeah, I want more, I want more. Keep coming, like, keep coming, keep, you know. Like, it's so good, it's so good. Like, man, when you, when you see something incredible about her, man, talk about it. Build her up. You know, in, and we, we, talk, we talk about how, you know, men need respect in this passage in Ephesians. But in 1 Peter 3, 7, it also says, show honor to your wife. Like, women need respect, too. They do, and, and we need to build them up and to let them know how valuable they are and all the things that we appreciate about them. And I, I think maybe in particular, maybe especially their beauty, you know, what you see about them. Because, guys, we may never understand this. Like, I'm, I'm never going to, I'm not going to look at another guy in this room and just measure myself based on their appearance, you know? Like, just that's not what guys are doing. I'm not, I'm not being like, wow, he's, like, prettier than me today. Like, you know, like, I'm just not going to do that. But nine times out of 10, a woman's going to have a hard time believing that they're beautiful. In 1 Peter 3, it also says, you know, don't be concerned. This is talking about women. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty or fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Like, you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. You know, this unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. And we think, well, why was that even necessary to write? It's because the, the image really is a battlefield, for a lot of women. I, I know you've shared that with me, but man, guys, I, t I tell you what, reinforcing for her how beautiful she is to you over and over and over and over, it will fuel her. You could spend 10 years telling her how beautiful is, she is, and one moment of just saying, man, you really kind of, not, it's, not, it's not working today. It'll take another 10 years to unwind that. So here's a real practical thing, okay? Don't fall for this. If your wife looks at you and says, like, just tell me honestly, how do I look in this dress? You tell her she looks beautiful every time, okay? 
Never once you're like, nah, that actually looks terrible on you. Like, never once, guys, never once. Always, 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 always tell her she looks beautiful. Anyway. Pretty passionate about that. Yeah. That's good. Okay. <laughs> and then the last one is uh, D is for devoted uh, loyalty. This, this one's also everything. Um, my childhood was not conducive to me believing a whole lot of that in part because my, you know, my, my dad, um, who I love, he's now with the Lord, but he cheated on my mom 13 times, in and out, lots of ladies. I mean, there was no staying power in that uh, marriage. And then, of course, my stepdad, with all of those issues, um, made it all about him, not about anybody else. So this idea of staying and staying in a healthy way is a big deal. Um, so much so that when um, the Lord brought Scott into my life, it was almost a too-good-to-be-true moment. I was just sure that somehow he'd be, like, tragically killed before we got married or just something. That was a big anxiety, this staying power. Um, that I, I remember uh, Scott took a trip to Alaska when we were engaged, and I had the avalanche pictured in my head, and I'd planned his funeral in my head before he even got on the plane. Like, that was the moment. I was like, this is it. I'm ready. Um, luckily, I've come a long way since then. Not, not in part because he's the best husband, which he is, but... Um, because I trust in Christ, right? And I know that uh, I'm, I am safe no matter what happens uh, because I belong to him. So that, that staying power being devoted is, is a huge deal. Yeah, I would just say with that loyalty, that devotion, um, make sure she feels that nothing's competing for that loyalty either. Like, you need to show her that she matters more than your job does. She matters more than your phone does. She matters more than your entertainment does and your hobbies like she she needs to feel that all the time she needs to feel that so i mean i'm, I'm curious charity when you think about each one of these things like how does christ inspire you on that you know oh man what, what has jesus I mean, done in each one of these areas and this this is where there's hope because if you're sitting here and you're like this is not the reality of my marriage like this isn't we don't have this thing going we're not in a good cycle think for a second that Christ has gone before you and does these things for you moment by moment. Think about it. You're linked. You've been given the seal of the Holy Spirit. He actually indwells inside of you. Talk about connected. You're connected to Jesus. He is open with you, right? You have access to the Father because of him. He's intimately open with you. He validates you. He gets it, right? There's that passage in Hebrews that talks about we... Um, He's gone before us, and he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus has been there. Think about this. This is so freeing. He esteems you. He's given you a new name. Um, he calls you his bride. So if you're living with a husband that's difficult at the moment, all of these things, this loving cycle is already given to you in Jesus. So even if hubby's hard to love at the moment, if you let that cycle be given to you in Christ, that will give you all that you need and more to fuel, still fuel a difficult husband with respect. And that's what's so, so freeing about this. And of course, devoted, right? I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what Christ says to you, never. Um, so you're not going to be abandoned for a second, uh, even if you're not sure about what your husband's going to do. Yeah. yeah, it's that emotional bank account that only Jesus can fill, right? If you're feeling like I can't give it because I don't have it, run to Jesus. He alone can fill you perfectly. All right, so let's talk about the other side of this. You know, what, what can women do to fuel men in the marriage? And here's the thing that we want you to write down. Respect fuels your husband. Respect fuels your husband. So we came up with this acronym. 
And this, these, these are like adaptations from acronyms that came out of the Love and Respect book that Dr. Eggers has written. Uh, but we came up with this acronym LEADS, L-E-A-D-S, LEADS. And we began with L in leadership. You can write that down, leadership, because God's given a specific responsibility for the men in the relationship to lead. Now we're going to get into this. Like this is not to dominate. This is not to make all of the decisions. This is to lead like Jesus led. How did Jesus lead? Man, he was a servant leader. He got down on his hands and feet. He washed his disciples' feet. He was willing to sacrifice his life to elevate someone else. The gift of leadership was actually to serve and to care for the rest of his family, his bride. Like, that's what leadership was. And we've, sometimes we get so scared about leadership because we've seen it abused over and over and over and over. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a responsibility that men have in the home to help the family be provided for and cared for and brought to Jesus. You know, you see it in Ephesians 5. Jesus died for her to present her to God, radiant, spotless, cleansing her with the washing of the word. I mean, there's this beautiful sense of Christ's death cleansing her, bringing her closer to God. And so our leadership, men, our leadership is primarily to lead our families closer to Christ, not dominate, okay? This is so important, and this is amazing. When we look at the garden, um, and sin entered the world for the first time in that very first marriage with Adam and Eve, technically, who was the one that sinned first? I mean, it was, not, not you, <laughs> no, like it was, it was, I mean, Eve. But who did God call out? The first person that God called out was Adam. He said, man, what's going on here? Like, what happened? And it's because really, when God looks at the man, he says, the buck stops with you. You're responsible for what happens inside the family. And I'm telling you, women, that is a heavy burden. You talk to any guy that's leading a family today, the weight emotionally to carry the family with how we provide, how we care for them, how we sustain what's going on inside the home, it's a heavy burden. Sometimes we just don't feel up to the task. And man, I, I, I get it. Sometimes it's really hard to follow us because we can just be downright morons. <laughs> All right, so just an example in my life. Ready? Uh, Charity will say, hey, I, I need you to go to the store and pick up a couple of items. I'm like, you got it. Something will take her like 40 minutes. I'm in there for two hours. And I can't even find all the items that she wants. So I come home and I'm like, did it, nailed it. And she looks at all the list. She's like, that's not even close to what I asked you to get. And she has to go back to the store and go get those items. Like, I get it. We can be hard to follow sometimes. But man, when you come up alongside your husband and just say, I respect what you do. I'm proud of you. I'm with you in this. It fuels us like you would not oh, believe. Definitely. And that's so similar to esteem, right, for the, the women's side of things. Like, wives, take a second and reflect. When is the last time you told your husband you're proud of him? Like, for real. And, and meant it. And again, right now, if you're in the crazy cycle of not practicing this respect and this love, that might be said through gritted teeth at first. But you're going to find that when you really stop, no matter how imperfect your spouse is, and just say, Wow. Even something as silly as you get the cars inspected every year, and I don't even have to think about that. You bring out the trash on Sunday night, so again, I don't have to touch it or smell it or whatever it is. Like, that's a big deal. Like, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for going to work today. I know you probably didn't feel like it. Um, that's going to put wind in his sails, and he's going to slay any dragon in his way that week just, just to hear you say that, um, that you're so proud of him. So I encourage you to do that. Um, e is equip. And we're just going to be real quick on this one. 
This is the, the other side of the whole fix it thing. Guys like fixing things. And we like to be thought of as, as this wise sage that, you know, like when we sit down with our wife, we're like, have you thought about this, you know? And I'm just telling you, in that moment, lady, even if it's just humoring him, yeah, you're, you're, you're brilliant, okay? Like, you're brilliant. Just in that moment, like, you fuel him. And when you fuel his respect, in turn, man, it fuels his desire to love you. So we'll, we'll just jump to the next one real quick. Uh, a is adventure buddy, and I love this one, adventure buddy. A lot of the time, wives want a face-to-face relationship. What really fuels a guy is a shoulder-to-shoulder friendship. I love this. In, in Titus 2, uh, it urges younger women to love their husbands. Yes, we need love, but the interesting word choice there, uh, it, you know, here in Ephesians 5, the, the word choice for love, husbands love your wife, is agape. It's unconditional, no matter what, like sacrifice for them unconditionally. Uh, in this one, in Titus 2, when it's, it urges women to love their husbands, it's the word phileo, uh, which is actually a friendship love. It's not just unconditional love, it's friendship love. And I'm, I'm telling you, guys want it to... They want to experience a fun buddy together, just sharing life, having fun, doing things together. You know, and I'm telling you, like, the moments where Charity just sits down and plays a game with me, you know, or or goes golfing, even though golf makes absolutely no sense to her, you know, like, why am I hitting a tiny little ball out in the middle of the field? Like, why why are we doing that? When, When we go out and we play together, man, it just puts so much wind in my sails. Uh, it's an incredible kind of love that fills me like nothing else does. Yeah, and that's something to practice now. I mean, he, you would probably contest the fact that with four young kids and not a whole lot of extra spending money, we don't do this very well. Like, it's really hard to find the time and the money and, it's frankly, the motivation. Like, last thing I want to do is play a sport. I'm so tired. <laughs> like, my sport is just going to bed early. That sounds great. Um, but then, you know, we see this. So many marriage, their kids grow up, and all of a sudden, the two look at each other and like, I don't know who you are. Um, it was all about the kids, or it was all about whatever. Um, so finding those things that you can be buddies about, um, even if it's a dorky board game, like, go for it. Uh, it's really important. Have an adventure, buddy. So D is dominate, and let me clarify this. Dominate does not mean dominate you, okay? As a woman, like, guys aren't driven to dominate you. They're, they're driven to excel and achieve and and, and have success in life because God's created us with a drive on the inside to, to win. Man, I know some guys last night that dominated on the basketball court because they were driven for competition, right? I think competition is innate to a, to a guy. And we see this even in Jesus when he came to defeat death. He dominated sin and death. He did that in an awesome way. And, and so men are driven to be successful, to accomplish things, to achieve, and to do so on behalf of the family. Man, fuel that as a wife. Like, let them know, man, I love that desire on the inside of you. But can I just say this to, like, guys, if we've got a desire on the inside to dominate, dominate the right things. Because for some of us in this room, like, you want to dominate the wrong things. There's crazy statistics out there right now about how much time is spent for guys on video games. And I'm not saying the video games are wrong. But if it dominates our life and if we feel like we get our fill of, of just a, a God-given desire to dominate just from winning something on a screen, like we're missing the whole playing field. God's called us to dominate 
our, our budgets. He's domin- like he, he called us to dominate providing for our families. Man, even going into the battlefields for the kingdom of God. Like, what does it mean for you to jump into the fray, to take risks, and to join the kingdom of God when it comes to going behind enemy lines and sharing the gospel with people who have yet to, to hear the gospel? You know, going into your workplace and not just seeing it as a place for a paycheck, but as a mission field to let people know there's a kingdom of darkness that wants to reach your soul and rip you to pieces. And I'm not going to let that happen because I'm on the right playing team here. Like, I'm in this to win. I'm in it to dominate so that we can get souls depopulated out of hell and back into heaven. Like, history is littered with guys who are willing to to literally put their lives on the line so people could find Christ. Can we dominate the right things? Women, if you can encourage us, when you see us having victory and success in the right areas and fuel us in that, man, I see that. Way to go. You're killing it here. That will fill us and fuel us to love you. Yeah, any other things that you can want to add on to that? No? All right. All right, the last one, sex. All right. The end. <laughs> so... We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and if you were not here for our sex Sunday, I highly encourage you to go back to that because we talked about it in full, but uh, there is an incredible way that wives get to love their husbands, especially through getting close physically. Like, it's it's an innate desire for us uh, to want that physical connection. Women, I think, primarily want the emotional connection, and that's what leads them there. But we feel loved, studies will show, after sex. And so, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, it says, do not deprive each other. Um, this is an incredible area where you can love your husband. Um, and even in 7, 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about the powerful temptations that are out there that are going to want to rip your husband away from you. One of the ways that you fight that in a big way is providing that, that physical connection. So it's a big deal there. Charity's like, I'm not commenting on that. Oh, we're just, we're just going to leave it on that. And Charity, do you want to just talk a little bit more about that mission of marriage and how, like, if it, you, you said it before, we could just play it safe. And we could just kind of coexist. We could just get the house, get the kids, just yeah. live a comfortable life and retire. But what's Christ's vision for all of this? I guess I just look back on my family of origin and, um, you know, I love love the parents I had and um, my mom's luckily still, still with me and, um, married a third time to a really good guy. But I just look back and as I want to look back on my own life when I'm a lot older, like what kind of story do I want to have? And you're never going to marry the right person because they change, right? And who we were 11 years ago is not who we are today and who knows what's down the road. Um, but just what kind of story do you want to have? As you sit next to your spouse today or dream about a future spouse, it is all going to revolve around where you stand with Jesus, like period. When I'm not in a good place with him, I am so unlikely to be respectful here. Um, and that has a spiraling effect on, on kids, on the community, on, on the church. Um, so this goes so far beyond how much your spouse might be driving you crazy right now. This has everything to do with your heart. And the enemy wants to do everything that he can to get into your heart and into your mind to mess this up. So it goes way beyond just having a happy marriage and all the feels. It's not even about that at the end of the day. This is an opportunity to be on the front lines in this world to show the rest of the world God's love for his people, Christ and the church. This is a a human 
exhibit. It's supposed to be of how God loves us. And so when it doesn't go well, it's that much more sour. So. Yeah, we've, we've all seen those videos of that old couple in their 80s that's still on the dance floor, you know, and they're looking at each other like they're the greatest thing that ever happened in the world. When we look at that, we see something that stood the test of time, right? And something that didn't just happen overnight, but took decades and decades and decades of building. And I, I couldn't help but just look at this picture this week as I was preparing for this. This, this couple that's just... They don't even give a rip about anybody else. They're on the beach and they're looking at each other. She's looking at him like he is the king of the planet. And he's looking at her like there is no greater treasure that the universe could hold. And in this, it's not just between the two of them. What they're doing is they're displaying a love that goes beyond this world. It's letting them know, is letting everyone know that love really is at the essence of the entire universe because God wrote it in there. And when we choose to love and respect each other in ways that really fuel each other, we're declaring the gospel, this good news of what God has done for us in a way that no one else can. It's an incredible gift. It's a calling to get into marriage. You don't get into it because the other person fulfills you or completes you. No, only Christ can do that. But we get into this as a mission to let the world know in the way that we sacrifice and love each other and respect each other that God is indeed on the throne. He's alive and well. So that's the invitation. So here's what we want to do. Um, uh, as we kind of wrap up this service, um, we're not going to have a closing song today. Uh, we just want to pray, the two of us, and we want to pray over you and uh, all the couples, you know, in, in here. Um, and just invite God to do some healing where he needs to do some healing. Yeah. And, and equip us for the road ahead. You know, the healing, whether your marriage is in a tough place or healing, maybe you came from a broken family or whatever it is. We, we just want to pray together that God would do that. So yeah. would you just bow with us and, and pray with us together? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you loved us like this. That second song we sang this morning talking about how on earth is it possible that you could love us just the way we are and yet call us to so much more. Um, brought tears to my eyes just because this is so impossible apart from Jesus. It's impossible to do with somebody we live with every day who's imperfect. But you've set us the perfect example in Christ. Thank you for loving us, God. Humble us. Humble us enough with this truth that we might rise up from embracing this reality and be overflowing with gratitude and let that grat gratitude fuel our respect towards our husbands. I just pray for the women in this room. Um, some are married, some are not. Some are engaged. Some, some hope to be married someday. Um, some have been married a long time and everything in between. I pray for these women that they would ultimately find that they are absolutely loved perfectly through Christ. That there would just be a newness and a freshness in their spirits from that truth. God, for the marriages in this room, would you heal them? Would you empower the wives to be respectful? Not because their husband deserves it all the time, but because, Jesus, you are so worthy. You are so worthy of that. And we want to obey you, and we want to respect our husbands because we love you. So please, I just pray for some awesome moments this week of wives choosing respect and watching what that does in their marriages. I ask this in your name. Yeah, God, and I... I just, I ask you to heal uh, the areas that 
we've been wounded in because we all have a past. We all have baggage that we carry in with us. And whether we're single or dating or married or divorced in this room, God, it, there's, there's healing that needs to be done because uh, we carry that into a, all of our relationships and it can spoil um, it can spoil relationships. It can even hinder our own journey spiritually with you. And I, I just pray for healing in all of that, God. And, and, and I pray for commitment today that there would be a stake in the ground kind of a moment that we would refuse to dishonor each other. That we would refuse to speak negatively about each other in public. That wives would give up shaming their husbands in public, that husbands would give up shaming their wives in public, that there would be a real commitment today to love and respect each other no matter what, because we know it's at stake. Your good news, God, the reality of Jesus coming into this world, that's at stake here. And when we choose to love and respect and honor each other and submit to one another, God, there is a real tangible expression that you're on the throne and you died for us. So God, I pray that that commitment would hold true and we would be a church that people look at and say, look at how they love each other. Jesus must be real. We love you. We thank you for uniting us to yourself. Thank you for your sacrifice. We ask a blessing on everyone in this room as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen.